0: Hello and welcome to another episode of our Future of Tax podcast series for tax leaders. For today's episode, I'm joined by two leaders who are very active in this space: Jay A. Arton, Emir Regional Tax Reimagined Leader and Partner KPMG in the UK, and Susie Cook, Global Tax Transformation Services Leader for KPMG International and Partner KPMG in Canada. Jay and Susie, thank you both for taking the time to join me on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, for Thanks very you. much. Great to be
0: here. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the centralisation of tax processes and the role tax plays within global business services and global shared services. Let's start with the debate around centralising tax processes. Jay, perhaps starting with you, can you help set the stage by walking us through some of the tax processes you're seeing organisations centralise? The first thing I'd say is the starting point for companies is their overall development of their tax operating model. And it's
1: important to start at this level for, I believe, three reasons. The right sourcing model, including the extent of centralisation and who should do the work is an important consideration. The company's ability and capability to operationalize change through better process and technology. And lastly, the company's ability to determine how performance of their tax function should be assessed vis-a-vis its contribution to the business. I strongly believe this is key as it establishes the framework for making sound decisions on centralization and in a manner which is consistent with the broader aims of the organization. So now I'll come on to actually answering your question. Within that framework and having considered that framework, we are seeing a number of companies looking at centralization across a range of tax and accounting processes. Some of these are indirect tax, which started many years ago and led the way from a tax perspective. But then that's carried on and evolved into tax reporting, transfer pricing, documentation, and operational transfer pricing, more recently, some corporate tax returns, typically the lower complexity ones. And, and last but not least, kind of statutory accounting. So, so a range of areas which companies are looking to centralise, but we'll, we'll discuss this more as we go along.
0: Thanks, Jay. It certainly sounds like there's a lot for tax professionals to think about. Susie, for those that plan to embark on a centralisation journey, or are in the midst of it now, what are some of the risks and opportunities they may face?
2: As you've indicated, there are some benefits and opportunities, but there are also some risks that may need to be mitigated or managed, or at the bare minimum have a line of sight. There's pretty much nothing in the world these days comes with benefits and opportunities with no risks attached, so it's really important to identify those risks and make sure you know how to manage them. If I talk about the risks first and that's generally because I like to start with the downsides and end with the upsides but if I start with those first they sort of come across the three core areas talent the business itself and a potential lack of flexibility so if I talk about the talent one first so talent attraction and retention can be problematic in any business these days. But centralization can double up on this and potentially also increase the attrition of those talented resources as well. This is because when a tax function is centralized, it often means that the manual, repetitive, transactional, downright boring elements are done through one shared service center or center of excellence. The talent in these centres, they are still accountants, they're still consultants, they're still highly professional. But given all of the manual work, they can, in instances, experience lower job satisfaction due to that less valuable, limited opportunities for growth, all of those kinds of things. So that can create some issues there. In addition to that, it also depends on the nature of the roles that you're looking for, because you need to find those skill sets. And it really comes to where are you centralising your your tax function as well, because centralising in Italy may cause significant issues trying to find someone that knows US tax, for example. Another potential talent risk is that more complex tax matters may not be done as effectively as they could be if they were being done by someone located in the specific region relating to that tax matter. So those are the sort of the talent issues. On the business side, risk arising from tax is driven by the business and what the business does. A centralised tax function may have less connection with the operations of the business. As one central team is dealing with all global taxes, they may not be on the ground for the day-to-day, seeing the issues, the changes that are arising in the business and may be unconnected to that. And finally, that flexibility I mentioned, tax, business, political, regulatory environments, they change every day and they change every day in every country and in every jurisdiction within every country. There is a risk that a fully centralized model may not have the flexibility to rapidly and readily respond to those changes. So I've just sold it as an awful thing to do, but there are upsides. And what are the upsides? Well, one of the key opportunities, and I'm sure Jay will touch on this a bit in a minute, but you're really able to leverage the scale that's afforded to you by having all your tax in one place. You can have the systems, the tools, the methodologies, the technologies, the processes. They're all there at the tip of your fingertips to improve the quality and actually mitigate some of those risks I just mentioned. Because you don't have a whole load of different processes and different systems trying to work together. You actually are doing it all consistently across the board. You also have the ability to bring in newer, more effective technologies and tools because you're dealing with a lot, not just Italy's issues or the US's issues. Some of the risks associated with talent also have benefit upsides. So a centralised model does provide access to resources centrally with more ability to scale as required. And you can pull on a vast range of different skill sets and knowledge all in one go, in one transaction, in one compliance, for example. Where both tax and finance are both centralised, the issue I mentioned around not being connected with the business goes away because you're still connected with all the other back office teams that are centralised in the same location. And of course, the obvious, the potential to dramatically lower the cost of your delivery. And as Jay mentioned, the desire and scope for centralization will depend on the organization's aims, objectives and goals. And in exactly the same way, the potential opportunities they want to get to and the risks that they'll be willing to take will also be driven by the KPIs and metrics that is driving the broader organization. I mean, I've done a lot of talking there. I don't know if Jay's got anything to add on sort of the opportunities and risks he's seen. Susie, what I would say is kind
1: of your summary of the uh, and, and your approach of weighing up risks and opportunities is is precisely how I've kind of seen the most successful organizations crack the centralization and sourcing conundrum. If you don't look at those, if you don't consider the business case, the kind of bi- the uh, the financial, commercial and other aspects of this carefully, precisely the way you've done over the last few minutes, you risk going down a path just because it's kind of the latest fad. So I think that's a great summary and it's kind of a great segue into some of the other things we want to talk about.
0: Jay, what are you seeing as the key enablers for sourcing and centralization? What are some of the most progressed or forward-looking organisations in this space doing? How are they mitigating the risks and capitalising on the opportunities Susie just discussed?
1: I'm going to answer this question in two or three parts because I think it's a great question, but it's it's, it's also a very big question. But... uh... So let's, let's build on Susie's point and start with, in addition to weighing up the risks and opportunities, I think it's really important to consider the key enablers. And I, I think of three, I'm sure there'll be more, but the three enablers I feel are critical to this decision-making is firstly the ERP landscape. Does a company have a single or a fewer number of ERPs which it can more effectively leverage from a technology standpoint? To look to automate its processes that's not to say a company with a number of erps can't look at centralization but but being frank it does limit its kind of technology automation capabilities particularly when it's looking at multi-jurisdictional standardization secondly susie touched on this the the wider finance transformation program happening in a company is really important and my experience is this has resulted in companies looking at a greater level of centralization to align its finance and tax functions. What this allows us to do is facilitate how compliance is managed, not necessarily sometimes how compliance is undertaken. So let let me bring this to life. I recently spent a week with a company at their regional center. This company, by centralizing its tax processes, was able to maximize synergies in working with its country controllers for the region, all of whom were based in that center as well. So what we had is not only greater efficiency in terms of use of process and technology, but also operational synergies, because you had two teams kind of located in the same place and and to Susie's point able to take a much much more holistic view across tax and finance. So stating the obvious, but the centralized tax and finance teams in this case just worked much better together. And you could see that in the way they interacted. So finance transformation was the second point. The third point I'd, I'd bring out is the ability to leverage a third party provider's capability. And the the key is scale. Uh, some big four firms like us have invested in our own centralized capability. And what this allows companies to do is leverage the investment made in technology, in infrastructure, particularly where the first two enablers being fewer ERPs, and a finance transformation program are in play. So I think there may be more enablers, but I think these are important factors to consider when weighing up the risks and opportunities which Susie talked about from a centralization standpoint. For me, the key learning is to focus on centralization where there is a business, or commercial reason to do it, not not simply to kind of centralize for centralization's sake. So then if I move on to the second part of your question, what are best practices I'm seeing? The way i would start this is just by illustrating two examples. Uh, Firstly, uh, say case study one, a company looked at a sourcing solution and outsourced many of its statutory and tax processes uh, in many countries, many entities, but under a centralized model. It did, however, retain some high profile commercially sensitive entities in house. As I said, both operated centrally. But the key point here is the company invested in a single standardized process and a single technology platform. So it really didn't matter who was doing the work. It was being done in a similar way using the same technology. It was just different people kind of doing it. And and to me, this illustrated the point that the efficiencies are gained through the greater automation and the greater standardization. And as Susie said, Centralization enables this, but it it shouldn't be confused sometimes with sourcing. And that was that's the kind of myth I didn't want to bust. Is kind of sometimes people think of centralization and sourcing as the same thing. But this is all about how you centralize. It could be different models within centralization, different people doing things. And this company is a great example of how they've continued to drive efficiency whilst maintaining a centralized, standardized model. The second example I'd call out is a company would set up their own centralized regional team to deliver a full managed service to its business across all tax and statutory accounting processes. The difference here was the team wasn't organized in the traditional way. Sometimes tax functions look at things, which was kind of separate pillars for indirect tax, transfer pricing, and the like, but rather on a country and entity basis. So the benefit here was kind of The the teams were able to gain a much greater understanding of the business. And I think Susie touched on another very interesting point when she was talking about the risks and opportunities, which was the capability development of the team. Here, the team were able to develop skills across a range of accounting and tax issues. And, And as they optimized this model, this company then kind of wanted to use kind of the best of what was in the market, which was my third enabler. And, and therefore, effectively transferred that team to a third party provider to move more to an outsourced managed service model. But the hard work, the groundwork had been done when they set up their center. So Yeo Ye was an example of a company who looked at it in a holistic managed service, from a holistic managed service perspective, started on a journey and have continued to evolve their model to make the best use of kind of technology and process standardization available to them. So to me, these two examples are examples of kind of really good, close to best practices I've seen. And I think the key learnings I take away from this as kind of companies look at look at different models is centralization as a term is fine, but what is driving it is that the management of tax is no longer the, the purview of the local jurisdiction only. So it is becoming more, it is becoming more central. And at the same time, we're seeing kind of When we look at tax and tax compliance in particular, companies are getting more savvy about the skills needed to deliver on this. It's not just about tax technical skills. It is about kind of process, organization, data management skills. So all of this kind of these learnings are really driving us to kind of think about compliance, centralization and tax centralization in a different way
0: to the way we looked at it maybe two, three, four years ago. And Susie, are there alternative operating models? And how does an organisation determine the optimal model for their business?
2: Well, a couple of the things Jane mentioned, important to consider and remember when an organisation is determining its optimal model. One being that centralization needs to be thoroughly thought through and considered based on the organisation. And I love the phrase he used, that not to centralise for centralization's sake. We see that, or... I used to see that a fair amount with organisations where centralization was the current buzzword and cool thing to do. So they did it um, and had to rapidly undo it because they hadn't thought it through holistically. And the other is that centralization is not a synonym for outsourcing. Your sourcing question is just a part of the centralization consideration. So I thought those two bits were really interesting. As it relates to your question, I could do an entire podcast or two-hour training session on the answer to that question, (laughs) so I'll try and keep it short. When designing your operating model, you need to look across all the components for a true desired future state, and they would be functional processes, your people, your service delivery model, your technology, your performance insights and data, and your governance, and All of those things need to be considered, whether you're decentralising, whether you're centralising, whatever you're doing, because as Jay mentioned, if you get your processes right, your people have the right skill sets, some of the rest of it just flows. The sourcing question becomes irrelevant because everybody's following the same process. You get rid of, when I was going through my accounting exams, the key man risk disappears. And then when you look at each of those core components, of course, again, there's no one size fits all. Every company is different. The number of companies in the world is the number of ways that people will twist and jive and design their own operating model and their own centralization strategy. So when we talk about how to think that through, you need to bring the whole business along for the ride. You need to get their buy-in. And when you look at centralization versus decentralization, there are a couple of key things that you really need to think about. And these tie back to some of the things I mentioned earlier and that Jay's talked about. And the first is stakeholder alignment. So how is tax aligned with its stakeholders, or you could call them customers? And again, how is your organization set up? How are the metrics aligned? That all flows into the stakeholder alignment. So, for example, in Jay's examples, they were aligned by sort of business unit, by legal entity. That's one way of doing it. But Could it be compliance versus reporting, so by process? Could it be geographical, aligning people by the different regions around the world? So really thinking that through, because that will impact the types of skill sets you want in the different teams, where you need those teams located. So thinking about where your stakeholders are and who they are. And then the delivery model is how the work's being delivered. So we've talked a lot about centralization, but there's decentralization. So the exact opposite where accountability and resources are within business units or legal entities. But there's also things like co-location, where a central service team performs transactional tasks, but local teams do more complex activities, or a center of excellence model, which incorporates a business partner or a shared center into the mix. So there's there's many different ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be one end of the spectrum or the other. And then you get the question around. Sourcing options. So, is it all in house? Is it co sourced where you team together to get things done? Is it fully outsourced to third parties, which, as Jay mentioned, gives you again more access to technology and leverage and scale? Or is it a managed service? And there again, I'm sure Jay could spend hours explaining the differences between outsourcing and managed service, but it really is sort of four levels of different sourcing options and it doesn't relate to the location that the services are being delivered. So when thinking through each of these, it sounds very easy. You pick one in each bucket and you move forward, but it's not. There are hybrids, multiple versions, and varieties of different options. And as we've said before, and I'm sure we'll say again, the starting point is really to determine which of these makes the most sense for you and you alone. It's not overly relevant what other companies are doing. It's more important what you're doing and how you can best benefit from it.
0: That's great. Thank you both Susie and Jay. And that brings us neatly to the end of part one in this two part podcast episode on the centralisation of tax processes and the role tax plays within global business services and global shared services. Join us next week for part two, where we'll discuss tax policy, technology available to tax teams and data management. Please email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax@kpmg.com. At We'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening.